Well, when I was younger, maybe about 10 or 11, I would think what it would be like when I graduated from high school. I graduated high school in the year 2000, but from my vantage point in 1991, the year 2000 was a lifetime away. That year was never going to come. It was too far away. But despite all the hoopla around Y2K and how the toasters and microwaves were going to rise up and kill us all, the year came and it went, as every other year does. And by the end of the year, I was once again a year older. Time never stops moving. Life is always changing. The world is always changing. And as much as you could wish to freeze just one moment, the day you got married, or the day you held your baby for the first time, and you think, just give me that one second a little bit longer. It can't be done, because every moment has passed before you realize that you wanted it a little bit longer. So time has marched on, and so here we are gathered today on this first day of the year of 2023, the year 2000 so far gone that we can't even see it in the rearview mirror. Life has changed. The world has changed. Let me recount a few of those changes that have taken place in the world just over this past year. The longest reigning British monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, died at the age of 96. Her son Charles is now king. Russia and Ukraine are mired in what appears to be an unending war. In 2022, England cycled through three different prime ministers. There's been ongoing protests in Iran. Roe versus Wade was overturned by the US Supreme Court. Elon Musk bought Twitter. Leo Varadkar is now the Taoiseach. The Irish government plans to have a jail sentence of five years for hate speech. The release of the Twitter files showing the FBI and the U.S. government actively suppressing views they didn't want propagated. Huge excess death increase, particularly in Western nations. Increase in inflation. Now, some of these feel like they are out there. They're just out there, and so they don't affect our immediate daily lives, but some of them we feel even right now. This year, 2023, will also be a year of change for us as a church. As you all know, Pastor Stephen will be retiring from his role as pastor after 35 years, after starting this church in 1988. I hope you all will plan to attend his retirement ceremony on Saturday, the 18th of February, at 11 o'clock, so I'll mark that down in your calendars and come, please, join us, celebrate with us. But this is going to be a year of change, of major change for our church, and especially for many of you who have been here for 20 or 30 years. So because this year is going to see several changes, I want to take this month of January, at the beginning of this new year, and do a series on thinking about change thinking about who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church as we move forward. Stephen and I have 
Also invited Colin Cooper, who served as pastor of Not Connie Baptist Church from 2003 to 2014, and then the Craig Avon Baptist Church from 27 to 2019. Uh, but now he's the, the ministry support coordinator for the Irish Baptist Association. He's going to come and preach on how a church can best prepare for a translation like this. And he's going to do that on the, the 15th of this month. So I hope you will come, hear what he has to say, and then enjoy a fellowship meal with us at that time. But this is going to be a year of change. And so I want to begin this series by reminding you of a very important truth. Throughout the history of the church, pastors have come and gone. Churches have come and gone. Congregations have come and gone. And while there may be a feeling of flux for some of you with the upcoming changes, there has been one constant throughout the ages, one thing that has been consistent since the very first church that was established in Jerusalem. There has been one who has been with this church since its inception and will be there until the end, and that is Jesus Christ. And so turn, if you will, with me to the book of Hebrews, where I want to show you this. Hebrews chapter 13. And let's read verses 7 to 8. Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 8. This is what the author writes there. He says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and forever. So what I want to do this morning is firmly plant our feet on an unchanging, immovable rock so that no matter what storm wind attempts to blow you over or whatever changing currents circle the church, you will not be shaken. I want you to stand on the immovable Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to dwell on that eighth verse for just a little bit and then apply, uh, apply it to our church as we prepare for future change. And then lastly, I, I want to try to relate it back to verse 7. How does verse 8 connect to verse 7? Okay, but let's start with the question of sameness. What is, what is the sameness that the author is talking about? How is Jesus the same? Well, I think a helpful place to start is the only other place in the book of Hebrews where the phrase the same is used of Jesus, and it's at the very beginning of this book, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 12. So let me, let me begin, though, by reading from verse 8. Here's what we read in Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 8. He says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Now, don't miss what 
the author to the Hebrews just did there, particularly in verse 8. Right here, the Son is called God. Right? Verse 8 is a citation of Psalm 45. And here the author of Hebrews is saying that psalm, that psalm in Psalm 45, which spoke about the God of Israel, that psalm was about Jesus. It was about the Son. He is God. His throne is forever. But what's even more amazing is that these are not just the words of the author, but the words of God the Father. Verse 5 says, For to which the angels did God ever say? Right? The Father is calling the Son, Jesus, God. And so, ascribed to him, the Son is the creation of the cosmos in verse 10. He says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. This is a citation from Psalm 102, which we read a little while ago. Jesus is the God who created all that is. And as we look around at the consistency of nature, right, the sun rising and setting every day, the orbit of the planets around the sun, the rotation of the earth that gives us night and day, all of these operate with with the consistency that allows us to track days and time and years and seasons. But here the author says, even this is like an old garment that will be tossed away. The consistency and sameness of nature itself is nothing compared to Jesus. But you, Lord Jesus, are the same and your years will have no end. So Jesus' sameness is the sameness of God. He doesn't change because God doesn't change. And Jesus is God. Theologians have a fancy word for this. It's called immutability. And this is based off of passages like Malachi 3.6, which says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Or Numbers 23.19, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will, it not, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Job 23.13, But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. Or James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so our God is not thrown about by the waves of change. He is that constant rock upon which the waves break. Charles Spurgeon once said, We are one day strong and the next day weak. One day resolved and the next day wavering. One hour constant and the next hour unstable as water. We are one moment wholly kept by the power of God. We are the next moment sinning, led astray by our own lusts. But our master is forever the same. Pure and never spotted, firm and never changing, everlastingly omnipotent and unchangeably omniscient. Despite living in a world that is always changing, we crave 
consistency. We crave consistency. When, when kids are little, one of the things that they need is routine. Routine and consistency so they know what to expect. They want something to hold on to. Even as adults, we want this to be true. When there are big life changes, you retire. There's a loss of job. You get a diagnosis of an illness from your doctor. You're told that your hopes and dreams of having a family aren't going to happen. You get a call a couple days before Christmas saying that your 19-year-old son was driving home from college to spend Christmas with you, and they were hit by a car and are now dead, which happened to good friends of ours. When the very ground seems to be moving out from under your feet, and even the air that we breathe seems heavy in our lungs, we look for a constant We look around and we ask, what is the same? What can I hold on to? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He hasn't changed. The one who walked the dirt roads of Galilee over 2,000 years ago, who looked upon the people with compassion who wept over the death of his friend, is the same one who now sits at the Father's right hand and who continues to look upon his people with compassion, who sees our hurts, who understands our pains, who watches over his church. And he will be the same Jesus the day after Stephen retires, the day after I have passed on, the day after your seat is occupied by a believer that you will never know in this life and there are none alive to remember this day or this sermon or this moment, Jesus will still be the same. But what does this mean for us as a church? As we go through this massive change next month when Stephen retires, what is the encouragement we get from a text like this? Well, let me give you five biblical truths that I think we can be encouraged by, that we can cling to as change takes place in this church over the coming year. First, Jesus founded this church, and therefore it belongs to him. Yes, he used Stephen to get it up and running, but this church is Christ's. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Stephen and I are merely under-shepherds to serve on his behalf, and when it's time, we must move on. And the Lord will raise up new under-shepherds, new pastors, and that's because this church is his. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. My church. In Ephesians 5, 23, we are told that Christ is the head of the church, his body. And so we exist in relationship to our head, who is Christ. While these passages may have the the church as a whole in view, we are a local manifestation of that universal church. 
It is in him that we as a church live and move and have our being. Therefore, we dare not try to build this church on pastors or personalities or programs, but on Christ to whom we belong. Second, therefore, Christ will be with his church at all times. You have not been abandoned. You have not been forsaken. God is with this congregation. Just a few verses earlier from our text in Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He has been the one who has been here since the founding, and he will be the one who will be with the church until the end. Now, we don't know the future. Perhaps there will be a time when I have to return back to the States. The way the world is going, perhaps the leaders of this church find ourselves in prison. There are many reasons why a church may watch pastors come and go. Only God will never leave us. And remember well, the presence of God is more vital to the life of a church than any single pastor. Third, God is in control. He is in control. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, if he is the Alpha and the Omega, if he is the beginning and the end, if he knows the beginning and the end because he sovereignly decrees it, then transitions like this are under his control. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.11 that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that includes the retirement of the founding pastor. This has not caught him off guard. This is not a surprise to him. He is in control of this church, and so we must place our trust and faith in him. Well, fourth, God has good plans for this church that he will bring about through all of this. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Are we a church that loves God, that values God, that prizes God, that desires God? I hope so. That's what I want us to be. But only you can answer that for yourself. But even if we come to him with a faint love crying out to make it burn brighter, then this transition, this change in the church is included in the all things that God is working to a good end for his people. And what is the good end? I don't know right now. It may not be what I think or what you think should be the good end. But this we can be assured. If it glorifies Christ, it will be good. Fifth and lastly, the work of ministry must continue on. Since Christ does not change, his commission, his intention for the church is still the same. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the resurrected Jesus gave the disciples, and by extension to us, uh, what we call the Great Commission. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so this is what we must be about as the church. 
And this is not just the pastor's job. Many times as I have preached, I've tried to convey that Stephen is not the church. I am not the church. We are the church, and it is we who do ministry. For 35 years, Stephen has labored to teach to build the people of this church up so that you too can do ministry work. And that's exactly what Paul says pastors and teachers are supposed to do. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, Paul says that pastor teachers are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean everybody should be a pastor, uh, that everybody should be preaching, but it means that coming to church is more than just coming to hear a sermon and learning something. It's about being equipped so that you can help others in the church, that you can take an active role. And to what end? Paul says, for building up the body of Christ. Paul is not thinking individualistically here, but rather as a whole body. It's all of us. Your service in the church matters to the health of the church and building up of the body. So while this coming year might bring many changes, the work of ministry must continue on, and you, as the body of the church, are central to that end. Now, before we end, I want to try and relate Hebrews 13.8 to verse 7, the verse that came right before it. So let me read those verses again. This is what the author of the Hebrews wrote. He says, Remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So the author of Hebrews calls us to remember our leaders. And in this context, he's particularly talking about leaders in the church, pastors. It is good and appropriate to remember pastors who have served and labored well Remember your leaders, he says, considering the outcome of their way of life. And by that, he, he means look at how they have walked the path of faithfulness. Even if they are no longer your pastors, even if they are no longer your leaders, watch and see as they finish well. Then we're given this command. Imitate their faith. Notice it is not imitate them. It doesn't say, remember your leaders and be like them. That's not what he says. Pastors are still fallen human individuals. The Puritan John Owen wrote regarding this verse, quote, We are not to follow mere men, not even the best of men, as our model and example in all things is Christ alone. But we can learn to emulate Christian graces where we see them displayed in Christian leaders. So the author of the Hebrews says, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. And here's where I think the connection to verse 8 lies. Notice that even as the call is to remember your leaders, the focus remains on Christ because of what these leaders spoke about and the manner in which they lived. Right? He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. They preached the whole counsel of God, the focal point of which is Christ himself. Remember your leaders, 
Because the Jesus they preached to you 35 years ago is the same Jesus who is still reigning right now, and he will be the same Jesus when you come to the end of your Christian walk. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Well, faith in what? What is the object of their faith? It was God in Christ. Just two chapters prior to this is what is often called the Hall of Faith in chapter 11, extolling the faith of many Old Testament saints. Of Moses, it is even said in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then beginning in the next chapter, in chapter 12, the author goes on to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. The world remembers men and women who have accomplished great and astounding feats in, in lots of different aspects of life, right? Alexander the Great, Winston Churchill, Marie Curie, George Washington, Catherine the Great, Michael Jordan, Pele, politics, science, sports. The author of Hebrews says, remember your leaders because they pointed you to Christ. Imitate their faith because their faith was centered on Christ. Sure, in the annals of history, there will probably not even be a footnote of any accomplishment of theirs, but you remember them because they labored in their words and in their life to help you better see the all-sufficiency of Christ. Imitate their faith. Have the same object of their faith, namely Jesus, and see that he will lead you to a good end as he does your leaders. How so? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He has not changed. As he led the apostles to their appointed end, as he led every saint throughout history, as he leads your pastors, he will lead you to walk in faith if your eyes are ever set on him. You know, 50 years from now, if the Lord allows this church to continue to grow and truth to be proclaimed from this pulpit, the people sitting in your seat will not know Stephen's name other than to see it on the Our History tab on the website. They definitely won't know my name. And truth be told, they won't care. They won't care. And that's okay. Pastors are here for a little while, and then they go the way of all mankind. The church was never about them in the first place, but about the never-changing, always-living Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of our souls, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to 
cling to that which never changes. Help us to hold on to a rock that can't be moved no matter what happens in this universe. Help us to see that Christ is the same yesterday, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. He's the same as he is today, and he'll be the same a thousand years from now. And in that, we, we can hold on to. There is our consistency in a world of change. And no matter what happens in this coming year, our Savior does not change. We pray that as, as we as a church go through changes, even in the next couple months, that this would be the rock upon which we stand. Help us to do exactly what the, the author of the Hebrews says and to remember our leaders. Those who proclaim the word of God. Let us be thankful for them. Let us also remember they are gifts from you, but that all pastors will pass away. And that we must continually be standing on Christ when it's all said and done. Help this church to be a church that grows, that is vibrant, excited, that loves Jesus, that proclaims Jesus. Help us to share that passion with others around us to say that even though you are going through troubles in this life, there is a rock that can't be moved. And we do thank you for that. Help us as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper here in just a minute to recognize what our Savior has done for us. That he died for us. That he bore our sins. And that one day he's coming again. And in that day we shall see him. And what a day that will be. Our immovable rock will appear before our eyes. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In his name we pray. Amen.